For the week of August 4th, 2019, this is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into all things Star Wars TV, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. This week, we are looking at Season 1, Episode 10 of The Clone Wars and Season 1, Episode 8 of Rebels. And to help me tackle all of this is John. John, how are you doing? I am not doing very well, to be perfectly honest, Zach. And I gotta say, it's because you left me to seek your fame and fortune in the movie business, (laughs) and we haven't had a chance to talk Star Wars in like what a month now yeah it's been a while so catch me up what what was this uh sojourn um journey of discovery thing that you've been on that's been so mysterious to me yeah so for the last like uh 32 days or so i've been i've been working on a on a movie an independent film and here in california um it that i've just been super excited to be on it's a it's a comedy film it's not uh for the the faint-hearted that's for sure it's got some mature comedy in there <laughs> okay. um but yeah it's gonna be uh auctioned off to some studios here in a couple months once the post-production is done now obviously you you probably have some contractual obligations to keep things on the down low but uh can you say like what service you were performing to the production like how you were involved yeah so uh i was one of the lead characters it is a story following um four roommates who are going through a quarter of life crises so i get (laughs) to be a part of uh some fun stuff where a couple of uh guys in their late 20s early 30s are going through some some life changes and so i get to be the the fun awkward one that's kind of going through uh a love story and getting attacked by his four other roommates because they all think that I'm leaving. Um, so yeah, I get to be a part of, of this kind of crazy nostalgic film. That's uh, that's hopefully that hopefully a lot of people are going to see here in the next year. Now, how did you get involved with it? Is this something that someone approached you with or are you working with buddies on it or like, how'd you fall into this? Uh, so whenever I was younger, I did some acting and I, uh, my dad knew, has known a couple of agents. And so anyway, I've, I've been kind of involved in some acting databases and some acting, uh, circles. And so this one came about, someone saw my, saw my profile and asked me if I'd be interested. And so I got to do some auditioning and then I got the part. Okay. So this was totally out of the the blue. This isn't just some pet project that you've been trying to Mm. ramp up with buddies or something like that. That was kind of the impression I got when you said you were heading off to do some, some film work. I thought, okay, maybe it was a labor of love project that you've been working on uh, casually, but no, someone just plucked you out of the blue and said, let's make this guy a star. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and we uh, it, it, we had such a such a fantastic crew on it. Um, our cinematographer he's uh, he's done quite a few things for for Netflix and um, and some other uh, industries, and so he's he's quite experienced working with a camera that's worth eighty five thousand dollars <laughs> every day, and just kind of being a part of that filming sure. on eight K. It was it was quite the experience. So at this point, they're shopping it around. They're looking for distribution. Is there any word on kind of what direction you're going to go? Do you think it's going to end up on Netflix? Do you think you're going to do the festival circuit? Do you think you might get some sort of theatrical release or is it just going to be like a regional release? What what are you guys targeting? Um, So right now they're, they're working on kind of just getting everything that we've been filming the past month and a half um, all into a nice little film because the long days were quite exhausting. But yeah, the goal is to, is to get it into a a wider release for sure. 
um, if I think that because the the director and the crew are they're very nostalgic about film, I'm sure they uh, they want a um, you know production company to buy it that'll take it to theaters. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't think that if Netflix comes knocking, they'll say no. Sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. One in the hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah, Netflix right. would be a perfectly good home for whatever it is you you've been working on. Well, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to uh, press you further because uh, we'll we'll maintain some surprise, uh, but do keep me posted once this drops, wherever it does drop. I want to, I want to see what you got, what your, what your acting chops are. (laughs) Well, yeah, I got to see, see some of the footage, uh, this last time I went and shot about a week ago and, uh, the footage that they got from June and it, it looks good. It sure. Um, it's fun to look at. We'll see if, if the rest of it's fun, but, uh, the visuals are definitely not going to be anything that holds it back. Okay. Well, they say that the the film lives in the edit. So if they've got mm-hmm. someone savvy that can make the most of what you guys shot, hopefully uh, it'll come together. Um, okay. Well, we're uh, we're way off track for <laughs> for for Star Wars. Um, do we want to jump into some news before we get into the recap? Yeah. So Disney Plus is going live with the Star Wars theatrical releases up to The Force Awakens. Uh, This one, I think this was kind of, in my opinion, I saw this one coming. Sure. I'm surprised that... That they're not going to do anything further with the with the initial release of the Disney Plus service, but um, but yeah, I kind of I thought that for sure the theatrical releases of of the original trilogy for sure was going to be up there right at the get go, and sure enough, it is. What did, what did you think that they were going to do further? Like, what do you think they're holding back on? Well, I thought that they were going to come out with just everything up to episode nine, as far as theatrical releases right from the release. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I just that was just something that. I wouldn't have been surprised if they if they gone that route, but well, they they would put the Last Jedi and Solo up on day one, mm-hmm. except Netflix still has exclusive streaming distribution rights on those for a few more months. So gotcha. those are going to drop once the existing license drops off. So it's not that they don't want to put up everything that they've got; they just need to make sure that they you know wait out their right. their current contracts. Yeah, so that means if uh, if you're holding on to those Netflix accounts and you're not looking at purchasing Disney Plus, you should get as much out of those films as you can because they'll be moving over. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's uh, the latest on Mandalorian? Well, uh, the Mandalorian is set for November 12th is what I read uh, today for the first episode. Okay, so we're getting the Mandalorian ahead of the next star Wars movie, the rise of Skywalker, which is what we assumed as well. Uh, we're only getting the first episode. So even though we don't have a confirmation on how soon they're dropping the whole series, right. We're probably going to assume that since it's what an eight episode season, a 10 episode season, something like that, Mm -hmm. uh, early November to early December, they could at least drop, say the first four episodes, like the the first half a season, if they wanted to do sort of an AMC style mid season split, uh, we could get, four half dozen episodes before force force awakens before uh the rise of skywalker um do we have any other insights on maybe how they're going to roll it out uh no not uh that's still pretty that's still pretty uh secretive as far as you know what they're going to do after that initial uh premiere date and with all of those actors i'm surprised that they were able to get uh season two greenlit as far as like i wonder how uh how flexible they're being with the actors if they have dates as far as when they're going to start shooting season two or if it's just at this point it's going to happen yeah well greenlit doesn't mean that they've actually right set schedules it just means that they're really happy with what they're seeing 
churn out from season one and they want to keep it going. They know they've got a winner on their hands and they're just doubling down on it. Um, I'm sure that anyone they brought in, they probably have tentatively contracted for multiple seasons. So I don't think it's a matter of being able to rope them in, but yeah, there, there's still a lot of production question marks that are <laughs> going to have to be filled in uh, over the next several months. They probably won't even start shooting it until winter. If it, if they're following the same schedule as last time, right? It was late fall that they started right. to ramp up production before. So if they're following a, a similar format, that's probably when we'll start to get more production details. Yeah. So we just got all this stuff coming out with Mandalorian. And then of course there's some news going on with episode nine. Mm-hmm. They're undergoing some reshoots, but never fear this, uh, <laughs> this mid December release is still going to happen in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so for someone who hears reshoots and, and gets nervous, how can you set them at ease? Uh, reshoots isn't a dirty word. Oftentimes news outlets will jump on that because it's provocative. Like, Oh, does this mean that there's some kind of chaos on the set? Does this mean the production's out of control? Does this mean, you know, heads are going to roll and directors are going to be fired? Like, is this sort of, uh, in the same league as what we were hearing about with solo or with rogue one. And I don't think that it is. It sounds like they've got a pretty solid cut of the movie already laid down. We're only a few months out. They haven't, talked about moving the the timeline back so it doesn't sound like they're doing any significant retooling to the movie um from everything that we're hearing as little as it is everything seems to be on track and they seem to be ramping up the marketing of the movie so they already have a good sense of who the heroes and villains are and and what people are going to latch onto. so the movie is well enough along that they're pretty confident they know how it's going to land and resonate and what they want to capitalize on so if if everyone seems very confident that everything's moving forward as it's supposed to, then reshoots are just what reshoots traditionally have been. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got some gaps here. We wanted to retool this section. We wanted to, you know, uh, create a situation that was a little bit more coherent, like maybe a, a more elegant way of unrolling some story element. And we just didn't capture what we needed on set during regular production. So we're going to fill in the gap. So if this is just basically patchwork to make the movie as smooth and polished as possible, then there's there's no reason to raise an eyebrow or assume that there's any drama beyond that. And and sometimes people assume pickups as being the same thing as reshoots. But it could just be something that they film they finished filming what what they had in the original budget and what they had in the original days of shooting and then afterwards they were like, "Okay, there are certain scenes we didn't get to shoot. Let's go back and shoot those." Um it could be that, it could be sure. and it could be as simple as, you know, the company watching some of the scenes and thinking huh i think we could do this a little bit better or we can do this a little bit differently that could help this plot later on down the road because you have to keep in mind even though the director and the writers they're there every day and they're on set watching this unfold and they have the script and the screenplay with them and they kind of know how this is going to go down but sometimes when they see it Mm -hmm see the actual footage and they see it play out they see some things that they may want to change and they, they could they could add to the story sure. so there's a number of different things uh reshoots in my opinion are just as positive as they could be negative because yeah. um we've seen we've seen the benefits of reshoots in the past so yeah definitely nothing to be nervous about right and that that's really the key point because if we think about it when you're on set you're you're jj abrams in this situation you are shooting all of your safety material. Like you're shooting according to the script. You're making sure that you've got all your bases covered. You've got everything that you're going to need to do the movie the way that you guys envisioned it when you were hacking out the plot. Okay. So far, so good. But if you have a moment of inspiration and you're like, oh, you know what? We need to have like, 
you know, an extra whatever spaceship in this battle. We need to kind of reframe it this way. Well, you've already built sets. You've already staged things and blocked things, and you've already crafted the scene around a, a certain version. But if you have this moment of inspiration in your head on the day, you're like, I really think that this would be better if we incorporated this new element. Well, you just might not have those assets available on set to do it during production. So you make a little note, you talk to your producer, you say, okay, what do we need to line up to be able to shoot what we need coverage wise and just get the, the, uh, on set elements. And then what do we need to then go pick up afterwards so that we can flesh out, you know, this new, uh, inspired little story beat that I've come up with. So a lot of times it is just a way of freeing the director to be able to pursue some things that may elevate the story that just doesn't occur during the first few drafts, you know, before you get on set. So it really is a way of freeing them up and letting them know that they have options. So a director isn't ever sitting there saying, Oh, well that would have been cool, but Hey, you know, this is the reality. We got the cameras rolling now. I guess we'll just have to abandon that idea. They don't have to abandon it. They can revisit it and see if there's some practical way that they can incorporate in the movie elegantly. That's what reshoots. That's what pickups are for. Like those two terms are often used more interchangeably now than they should. Uh, but you know, whether we're talking about traditional pickups or we're talking about them retooling some scenes, it probably has a lot more to do with them saying, Hey, you know what? We had a good idea for this scene, but I think we have a great idea. If we can just line up a few more assets, get the actors to switch up some dialogue and just repaste this all together. Fortunately, you know, with digital filmmaking, they have a lot of ways they can do that. And the end result still seems seamless. So, no reason for alarm. If anything, these reshoots or pickups or whatever it is they're doing, the, the modest schedule that they have for these, uh, we have to presume that it's really just fine tuning and making the movie as great as it possibly can be. I couldn't say that better. Cool. So <laughs> don't read too much into reshoots. Instead, read into some things that matter a little bit more that everyone's reading into, sure. like the Sith Trooper. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're red. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm not really sure what the story is here. They're called Sith Troopers. We know that Palpatine Sith. We know that we haven't had an official uh, acknowledged Sith in the sequel trilogy yet. So if Palpatine's back in some form and now they're talking Sith and we got red stormtroopers that harken back to the red Imperial guards that surround a Palpatine, um, just more indication that they're weaving in some elements from the previous trilogies right. to to try and bring the story kind of full circle. Um, yeah, they look cool. They're going to sell some toys. Every star Wars movie has some new version of a stormtrooper. Now we know what we're getting. We're getting rocket packs and we're getting red ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And for me, I mean, this could be as simple as we all know that Kylo Ren is a fanboy. Sure. Like this could be as simple as now that he's the, uh, the Supreme leader. He just says, you know what? I want to be like this, uh, this old dude that used to work with my grandpa and I'm going to have these things here. Sure. I mean, and, and it could be that it, it it's also not necessarily saying that yes, Kylo Ren is for sure going to be a Sith the next time we see him. Um, it could just mean that he's just a, he's just a fanboy, and yeah. these are his creations. Yeah, we have no idea. I just assumed that these were some legacy troopers that were left over to protect whatever the emperor had been cooking up to yeah. somehow, you know, uh, conjure his way back to the land of the living or whatever it is that they're going for with the bringing back the emperor. I just assumed that these were some asset that he had had basically like protecting his legacy or his essence or whatever it is that uh, they're going to find in the, the crash death star or whatever, whatever it is. We have no idea. I assume they were associated with Palpatine, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Kylo Ren 
the character, it seems like he's maybe coming full circle because you've got JJ Abrams now, uh, maybe trying to pull in some of the original story ideas that he was developing with force awakens. So we know that in that movie, a lot more than in the last Jedi, it seemed that his goal was very much to pick up the work that his grandfather had left off with. Uh, and that, you know, that ties into the Sith. So yeah, maybe this is just him trying to rebuild that order. Maybe, you know, the Knights of Ren came back with some Sith relics and now they have everything they need to rebuild the order. Who knows? But uh, yeah, we'll find out in a few months. I do hope if they are associated with Palpatine that there's some remaining uh, clones. I think that would be a nice little sure. tie-in to have some some living clones that, that were there on Order 66 that have been there since the beginning with old Palps. <laughs> Those would be some uh, old clones, especially since they age so quickly. But hey, you know yeah. what? Uh, nothing's off the table. Whatever, <laughs> whatever JJ's cooking up, I'm, I'm sure it'll be a fun ride. Maybe he kept him in the baby tanks for a while <laughs> sure. and had him as a secret. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's go ahead and hit quickly on some Galaxy's Edge. So in Disneyland in California, we have Galaxy's Edge that has opened. They're awaiting the opening for August for Disney World. But there's some there's some stuff on the Internet about Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. Um, I take this with a grain of salt. Like there's, there's some people that are very quick to want to see anything fail that my feeling is that you've just got some like needlessly obsessed fanboys that are pronouncing doom for galaxy's edge. And I don't know if there's really anything to it. I haven't been myself to see, you know, how crowded it is or, you know, how much uh, traction it's getting um, with visitors to Disneyland. But if pictures are coming out where maybe it doesn't seem like it's as crowded as people expected, well, first off, that's just their expectations. That has nothing to do with reality and what people can afford and what people's availability is. And, you know, how many uh, season ticket holders compared to how many, you know, like fresh pass people they're able to get into the park. There may be a lot of people avoiding it because they thought there was going to be crowds. So they just didn't plan trips for this year. They're like, oh, that place is going to be a zoo. Let's go in a year or two, which is, you know, my strategy, <laughs> you know, wait, wait till it just becomes another typical park feature and you're not fighting the crowd. So um, maybe it's a victim of its own success, you know, that people are kind of scared to uh, maybe go there before the crowds uh, settle out. It could also just be, hey, this is a picture midweek from a weird angle where there wasn't a lot of people in the shots and people want to take that and run with it and pronounce doom for Disney because apparently, you know, Disney stole our childhood by corporatizing star Wars and, you know, all the other things that people would love to point fingers at. Um, I don't make much of it until I see the park myself. I have no reason to assume that it's not going to be a wild success. They say a million people have already come through the millennium Falcon ride. So, Mm -hmm. Hey, that's a big number. It's only been open for a yeah. little over a month now. Like, yeah, come Dis- on. Disney's going to make their money and uh, a few internet naysayers I don't think are, are really going to bend reality to their will on that. Disney wouldn't have put money into this park if they weren't reasonably confident that uh, it was going to yeah. be a success. Well, one of, the, one of the articles I saw about it, I was reading it and, and I came to realize that the, the author of this article had never even been there. He was writing right. from the perspective of what people are saying. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, I've actually talked to people that have gone and they've told me that the, uh, you know, they, they're given bracelets of like a time slot. Like you have four hours, go right. get in, get out because it, cause there is, you know, there's some crowd maintenance going on. And, uh, he was, my friend was telling me that he was there for his time period. And within 15 minutes, the wait for the millennium Falcon was already up yeah. at an hour and a half. Yeah. So I think what you're getting is, just people cherry picking the photos that make it look like a dire failure. And 
I think the boots on the ground reality is probably a fair bit different. I can't say either way because I personally haven't been there. So I would just be looking at photos and saying, well, I don't buy it. You know, like my opinion isn't any more valid than any other internet troll, but, um, I don't know. It just, it seems like it's pretty tenuous what they're hanging their hat on to say that it's a failure. Uh, I'd be willing to bet, especially when the full part comes online and then the Disney world version of it comes online. Like right now, this is just a very limited, small sampling of what galaxy's edge is ultimately going to be as they bring more attractions online. I have a feeling it's going to do pretty good because as much as maybe the last couple movies weren't the slam dunks that um, the fans hoped that they were, it doesn't mean that there isn't still uh, a lot of thirst for star Wars and, and for the kind of uh, cutting edge interactive adventures that they've got, you know, this is bleeding edge stuff that, that they're rolling out in the park. So uh, yeah, no, it's going to do fine. (laughs) Yeah. And they only have one ride there right now. That's another thing people aren't really talking about. Mm -hmm. There's only one ride right now because the other ones aren't set to release until January. Yep. Like everything you read on the internet, take it with a grain of salt. There's, there's usually, um, uh, maybe some bias or whatever, some, some desire to maybe stick it to Disney, uh, coloring the commentary there. So yeah, this, this to me is a non-story. Disney will release their quarterly earnings and say, Hey, we made 15 billion at the box office and our Disney parks made like another 30 billion. And I think we're doing okay. So (laughs) I'm, I'm really not worried about Disney. Well, now that we've given those trolls a little space, let's go ahead and get into something uh, a little more fun and a little more positive, and that is this episode of The Clone Wars. Sounds good. So, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Season 1, Episode 10, Layer of Grievous. And this episode was written by Henry Gilroy and directed by anime legend, is it Taguchi, right? I don't know, Takachi, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, anime legend, I just think that the story behind how he came apart the series is just so fun. Filoni goes to him and says, hey, we're doing a thing for Star Wars. You want to do it? And he's basically like, "Uh, yes. Um, So, this is his episode that he gets to direct. And in this episode, Kit Fisto and former Padawan Nadar Veb pursue the escapee Newt Gunray and end up on a remote planet. Mm -hmm. So... This remote planet, this turns out to be the Lair of Grievous. I really enjoyed this episode. How about you? Yeah, it was good. A newly minted Jedi has to uh, <laughs> learn a tragic lesson in mm-hmm. uh, modesty and humility. Um, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some stakes here, some real cost, and it was fun. Well, I just love whenever they walk into this temple and they realize that oh, Newt Gunray really isn't here. He's here to, uh, this is basically springing a trap. Right. And you, they look at some of the shrines that are around and they're like, oh, this is dedicated to a great warrior. And then they find out that it's dedicated to Grievous by Grievous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's just, to me, that is a really neat thing that we get to dive into this. Uh, it adds a layer to Grievous as far as like kind of somewhat of a backstory and kind right. of where he goes um, when he flees and runs away and rebuilds himself, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah, it's his Fortress of Solitude. Uh, we do learn a lot about Grievous's backstory in other mediums. So mm-hmm. it is neat that they showed some imagery of him before he was as cybernetically augmented as he is now. Um, yep. So yeah, that, that's kind of cool that he's almost unrecognizable aside from maybe like the the mask shape that he wears that now his you know cybernetics are kind of an homage to. Um, yep. Yeah, no, that, that's neat. There was a lot of fun framing and um, just the, the, the shot design in this was pretty inventive and that probably is a credit to the anime inspiration. It, it mm-hmm. did have a bit of a frenetic pace and I, I just, I, 
I really liked how there was very little story here, but mm-hmm. it, it kept you engaged. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just, I don't know if it was just visually or just something about, um, uh, the stakes in it all. It just seemed like it, it never lulled in the middle and, and, uh, was pretty competently carried out. So yeah, this was, this was fun. It was exciting. We got our fair share of lightsaber battles and, uh, more, uh, fortune cookie wisdom that actually, you know, does have, a um, uh, a bit of a gut punch, a bit of a payoff there. So, uh, there was a lot here. This was, this was a solid episode. I got to say. Yeah. And we, we just kind of get to see, uh, all of Grievous's kind of trophies, his collections. He's made this layer of his. Um, I don't know if, have you seen the, uh, the first alien versus predator movie? Uh, I did see the first one. Yeah. So not the greatest movie in the world, but one of the things that happens in this little pyramid is as people enter into different rooms, you know, the room shifts and doors close and it kind of like turns into more of a maze that leads you into, you know, a trap nonetheless, Mm. where you get a battle of alien and, you know, probably die. (laughs) But this is kind of similar where you have this droid watching all this stuff play through and like, oh, let's separate the Jedi and let Grievous have his fun with this one. Right. So it was just kind of neat to see uh, the mind of Grievous here and uh, the sinister nature that he has as far as uh, this is probably not the first group of people that he's done this to and this is probably his lair that he had before he was all cybery and robotic-y and uh, he probably did a lot of messed up stuff in this little lair of his. We have to assume. I mean, if you go through all the trouble to have a trap door that leads to a an ever-flowing pit of lava, <laughs> you know, you've got your bases covered. This this place was strategically designed for just such a mousetrap. Um, yeah, and then you've got the added layer of Grievous is almost sort of caught in his own web because Dooku has sort of staged this whole thing to test his metal and remind him that he's disposable and, you know, if he can't even best a Jedi, then what good is he leading the yeah. the, the robot army? So... Yeah, there are a few layers here. And so it is kind of neat to see Grievous sweating it a bit without trying to let on because he is all arrogance and bluster. And um, yeah, and the Jedi as well, just trying to keep pace with like, why are we here? And why weren't there any guards? And why did this seem so easy? And oh, okay, now we're in a trap. And yeah, there's, there's, there's just a lot that unfolds that, that kind of keeps you riveted. Yeah. And I also like that this this kind of also gets flipped up on its head when because we're assuming that, oh, this is a trap for the Jedi. But then mm-hmm. Dooku kind of reveals like, no, I'm testing right. Grievous and all of this. I'm making sure that he's effective because he hasn't really done anything too promising to lead destroyed army since he's been leading it, um, which is a question that maybe fans had from the beginning of seeing Grievous and is like, why is this guy leading this? Um, well, we, we've been saying it. It seems like they've been doing the inspector gadget ending where he just blasts off in his escape pod, you know, seconds before another huge separatist uh, flagship blows up. And that seems to be the only thing he's good for at this point. So yeah, I think it's about time that um, he kind of gets uh, smacked upside the head, <laughs> told that he has to shape up or ship out. And he's, he's only proven semi effective in this whole thing. Hmm. He yeah he gets the untested Jedi but he doesn't get the real Jedi not the master right. yeah and and he while he's not the one that runs away uh, he's still kind of left you know not necessarily victorious mm. so we have a new character in our Veb who is the former Padawan of Kit Fisto so we kind of get a look into into this uh, this young Jedi who right. is a, a little bit proud and. That leads him to his demise. Mm-hmm. He uh, he doesn't follow the Jedi way always in this episode, and it, it, he pays a price for it. 
Uh, yeah, when you when you think that you've got mad skills and you're eager to prove yourself, like it's a very like young man trait, you know, like a young buck just kind of like looking to spar. There's some truth in there. Like that's a, a very honest human quality when you're young and all bluster. Uh, but yeah, when you're in a high stakes game with a, a villain, the caliber of Grievous, you can't think more of yourself than's appropriate. You need to be cautious and uh, he wouldn't listen to his master and he felt that he could go it alone. And much like Anakin losing his arm so effortlessly to Dooku when he wanted to go it alone, we, we kind of see what that bravado and that pride gets you when you're up against uh, I don't know, dark side agents. Yep. And then uh, we get uh, just looks at Kit Fisto because in the, in the original, or not in the original trilogies and the uh, sequel trilogy, uh, you don't get to see a lot of this guy. He's kind of in the background. You see him as this green little alien. You hear about him more than you see him. Mm-hmm. And in this, uh, this was a nice episode because once again, it, it allows us to see who this, uh, this Jedi master is and how wise he is. And also I like that he, recognized when it was time to fight and when it was time to go home. Right. Yeah. He, he kind of gets taken out like a punk by uh mm. Palpatine there yeah. um, without even, you know, much of a fight. So he's, he, yeah, he has only really existed as a background character. Unless you look at the other animated clone wars, the, the mm. Sally animated clone wars, he had a spinoff episode in that uh, right. where he gets to do some, some underwater awesomeness. But yeah, as far as Canon's concerned, we don't have a lot to go on. So much like um, Luminara, you know, in, in a previous episode, the clone wars is really where you get to invest in all the characters that you see so briefly on screen in the saga films. And then when you go back and watch the saga films, it hits a little harder when you kind of feel like you've spent some time with these people and you, you get them and yeah, you, you care about them more than when they're in the movie and they're just disposable set dressing. So uh good world building here. Good character building here. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed this episode and I just love those little Easter eggs that it gives us just about who, uh, who Grievous was and kind of look into his past and right. Also you kind of see how far he has fallen through all of this. That this shrine, he's come a long way from the shrine, and whether or not that he's uh, he's facing more uh, worthy opponents, or whether or not he's just uh, getting slow. Yeah, well, part of it is he's more machine now than man, right? And as much as he would like to assert and um, suggest that he's still, you know, the the mighty warrior that he once was, even his little medical robot doesn't really respect him and can talk back right. to him and uh he's kind of beholden to his medical droid to take care of him so y- you understand that yeah no he's a bit of a, a shell of his former self uh as much as he would never admit that uh so yeah again good character building good world building good episode yeah well let's go ahead and transition into this episode of star wars rebels okay season one episode eight of rebels gathering forces this episode was written by greg wiseman and directed by Stuart lee after ruining Empire Day and rescuing Sebo, the ghost is pursued by a company of TIE fighters led by the Grand Inquisitor. So, the last episode of Rebels, we have, of course, this crew ruining Empire Day, which is the day that Palpatine declared himself Emperor of the uh, Galactic Empire, mm-hmm. and also Ezra's birthday. Right. Not just his birthday, the day of his birth. The day of his birth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it kind of 
kind of kind of stinky. That's a little that's a little stink on Ezra's <laughs> life there. But they they save Sibo, and at the the kind of cliffhanger last episode had was Sibo said that he knew what happened to Ezra's parents, and now here we are, mm-hmm. and we still don't find out in this episode. Well, someone finds out. <laughs> <laughs> someone finds out, yeah. just not us. But it kind of starts off with Ezra not being able to forgive Sibo for you know quote unquote failing his parents, and throughout all this, the Inquisitor of course puts a. Uh, a nice little tracker beam on the ghost. Mm-hmm. So let's talk. Let's talk Sibo here and Ezra. So this little character arc that's going on is, you know, it's a little emotional. It's a little. It's a little mature for younger audiences because, you know, you have this kid whose parents get taken from from him or not. Yeah, like from them, and then all this stuff. And and Sibo is now kind of working for the Empire. Mm-hmm but not really. I thought that was the best part of this episode. Sure. Yeah. It's, um, there's some shades of Jen Erso there, right? Like mm-hmm. a kid who's u- too young to really understand the stakes and motivations of the adults, um, being hit with some tragedy, losing his parents and then not really even understanding in this case, whether Zebo's an ally or a traitor or how to take him. All he knows is that it's conjuring up all of these, you know, painful memories of the past. And he says at one point, you know, I have to believe they're dead, right? Like the only way that he's been able to kind of keep himself going is by feeling like he's on his own and he's just had to rally because he has no one. So holding on to that hope would almost have been too painful to allow him to kind of stand on his own two feet. Um, so this is just upending his whole world here, but also, you know, very important to find out if something other than what you thought happened to your parents actually happened. Cause well, you know, <laughs> that's a uh, valuable information. So a lot of, uh, setting the table here, as far as Ezra's motivations, uh, the conflict that he's going to come into in the future and, you know, just maybe the intrigue surrounding his parents and what might uh, transpire. We're trying not to give away too much from future episodes, but obviously these are, uh, some heavy revelations for a kid and it, it sort of fits that he would just sort of kind of turn his nose up and get indignant rather than be able to process that and sort of take it as it's intended. Like Zebo's trying to help Zebo tried to do the right thing. He was just in a bad situation trying to figure out what's the best thing I can do. And at a certain point he just says, well, if I just give myself over, if nothing else, you know, maybe I can smuggle out some secrets through these cybernetics. Like it's yeah. almost like you're just out of options. And at a certain point, you're just like, how can I sacrifice myself to do some good at the end of all this tragedy? That's kind of the picture they're painting with Zebo. And uh, I thought that was, that was pretty poignant for, for kids fair. I thought that was, that was good. That was meaty. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it, and it's tragic in its own little way that even though this, like this is a huge sacrifice that an individual could take, like you are, you are letting the empire into your head and basically becoming a controlled vessel mm-hmm. of them voluntarily yeah. in hopes that you can use that information to pass on to someone else. But I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's sitting on a lot of <laughs> ifs like this only works if someone rescues me. This yeah. only works if uh, if I can somehow manage enough mental strength to to run away. Exactly, it's the deepest um, of deep cover, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> you, most people can't get in that deep and have any hope of somehow uh, regaining their their faculties enough to be able to do some good. But he managed it. That's kind of why now looking back at the previous episode, just the disoriented version of him that they find in the hideout, it, it kind of adds a layer of context to that too. Like this was quite an ordeal for him to figure mm-hmm. out how to separate yeah. himself from the empire and try and get somewhere where there was even a, a, a glimmer of hope that maybe someone friendly might find him. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I love well, it. I mean, and it, <laughs> and it was just what he kept saying that he, 
just his stuff about the the Bridger family. Like he had he that strength that he mustered up and where they found him. What well, like that's so that's a lot that that he was only able to muster up enough strength to get to the Bridger's household mm-hmm. um, and hide there. But that uh, yeah, it's it's a, <laughs> it's a bit mature. It's a bit mature thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I do love that the show is not shying away from giving some emotional heft to the characters. It it really is serving the show well at this point. Yeah, and then uh, the ghost quickly find out that they're being tracked through hyperspace through Which, this little tracker. I'm going to take exception to that because I thought that being tracked through hyperspace was new First Order tech that was unknown to the Resistance in The Last Jedi, right? Because the whole point of that movie is they can't jump into hyperspace because the First Order flagship has uh the ability to track them through hyperspace yeah and that one i kind of read you know the the uh the resistance ships didn't have an actual tracker beacon on them oh it's tracking when there's no physical connection to it we can't phone home okay well that makes sense because the the tracker on this is the same thing that obi-wan threw on the slave one in in attack of the clones Mm -hmm. so we assume that that the slave one jumped into hyperspace and he was able to find him after the fact. So, um, okay. That makes more sense. Okay. So tracking without any kind of, um, beacon attached to what you're tracking. That's the difference between, okay, you know what? I'm going to shut up because that's a perfectly reasonable explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, but Kanan and Ezra, they also make their own little sacrifices. They, uh, they set a trap for the Inquisitor back on the planet. This is the same planet that mm-hmm. Sabim and um, oh, Hera. Hera, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was the, the girl's day out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they went back to that same planet with those good old dark animals. Shadow doggies. That's what we're done with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they, they set a trap for the Inquisitor, which, once again, there's quite a lot of what-ifs in this little, um, this little trap that they're springing mm-hmm. here. And quite the responsibility to put on Ezra. Like, hey, use the force to make these things your friend so that you can control them. Just like, this kid's barely lifted a rock. Yeah, he couldn't get a kitty cat on his side back on Lothal. But yeah. now, you know, the, the mother queen bee of the shadow doggies, you know, he's got to be able to, to muster control over. Um, great that he was able to do it. Uh, it but it, what's interesting is that it actually is foreboding. Like, that actually worries Kanan that... He went from a casual situation that he wasn't invested in. He couldn't muster up enough to, uh, to win over the cat. But when it seems like, uh, he's unbridled and aggressive and certain tendencies that you would associate with the dark side, when those come to the fore, all of a sudden, you know, he can do some really great things. So is he opening himself up to dangerous abilities if, if he doesn't receive the right training from Kanan? Uh, so yeah, like, uh, as contrived as this whole plot was, it certainly does, uh, open up some intriguing questions about, uh, the slippery slope that Ezra might be on, especially with all the emotional turmoil of his family and Z and just everything that he's got going on right now that angst can obviously be parlayed into some pretty dangerous uh force uh, activity which i thought was cool i thought that's a, a a neat a neat way to add a little bit more weight to this fight at the end here and the inquisitor didn't waste any time mm-hmm. in trying to exploit that like true dark forces do sure always tempting yeah just like oh you got some power there and i see that you've unleashed quite a bit of it why don't you let me finish your training i can teach you some more right it's just oh these guys they exploit every little place they can (laughs) don't they uh yeah and i want to just give credit to how well the inquisitor's written he really does feel like a true star wars villain that could go toe-to-toe with the best of them as far as yeah 
the seduction and the control that he seemingly has. Like he, he always is a gentleman, but at the same time he's fierce, you know, and in control and, uh, yeah, just a, a potent foe. And uh, I like it when they cross paths. His fighting style is very similar to Dooku with the I'm going to keep one arm behind my back type of classic fencing play here. But then when I need to, I'll unleash everything I I have. But it was just so interesting just to see just to see that, like sometimes an animation you can you can get if you want to. There's a lot of room for you to get lazy. Like you don't have to add these different fighting styles to these characters to make it watchable. But they did. They Mm -hmm. wrote they wrote that in there that this is how he fights. And this is what he does when he gets in a tight spot and all this type of stuff that I, I'm just enjoying with this character right now. Yeah, no, there's, there's some solid writing here. Uh, they do dig a little bit deeper and they do add a bit more, uh, visual flair and just a bit more depth to the visuals. Like you said, even with just making sure there's distinct fighting styles on display Mm -hmm. that adds a bit more characterization. It's a quality production. I, the more episodes I watch with more of a critical eye, the more I respect just how hard they were working to make this show great. I've, I've said it before. This, uh, this one's really impressing me and a lot more so than when I was just casually watching it back in the day when it was actually airing. Yep. I'm getting a lot more out of it and really respecting how good this show actually is for its intended audience. Well, with all the, the stresses and kind of dark tone, this, uh, this episode takes it ends on a nice little bright note. Sabine gives Ezra a birthday gift and which is his old family portrait, mm-hmm. which yeah. is, you know, nice and sweet. You get that classic, uh, empire strikes back ending shot where yep. it's outside the window. The ship begins to turn out of view towards the star field. And yeah, you just get that little shot of him illuminated inside the, the cockpit there, mm-hmm. uh, which is a nice little way to add a bit more emotional heft to it because we instantly connect with the emotional heft from the end of empire where, you know, right. you, you've just had a really dark day, a dark experience. And, uh, as much as maybe it was a victory, it was also a loss in, in many yeah. ways. And so, yeah, he's a, he's a very, um, tortured character at this point he's just got a lot of emotions swirling through his head and and they they cap it really nicely they really paint that picture of uh yeah a boy in turmoil well i hope that our listeners have enjoyed this uh extra long episode of ours that we have here yeah fortunately we won't have as much news to round up uh next week so maybe that one will move a little quicker well john where can the people find you well, if uh, people want to check out what else I've got cooking, I do the SNL After Party podcast, which is the largest and arguably most awesome SNL podcast currently running. We've been doing some bonus content over the summer. I just had an interview with um, a comedian impressionist who has had a couple auditions on the main stage at SNL. He was recounting all of the uh, <laughs> the, the drama and peril that he went through to, to be able to land those auditions. And yeah, we, uh, we were breaking down some of the cut for time sketches uh, that didn't make it to air with SNL during season 44. So we've got some fresh content coming through our feed. If anyone wants to check it out, they can go to snlpodcast.com. Nice. Yep. It is a fun one. Brings a lot of joy into <laughs> the life of people that love comedy. So I, I so. encourage people to listen to that podcast. All right. Well, thank you for joining and join us next week when we get into the next two episodes of the Clone Wars and Rebels. Awesome.